Well, you may have heard this story before. I know I've shared it here before, but a number of, of years ago, the Washington Post set up an experiment outside of a subway station in Washington, D.C. on a cold January morning. They placed one of the finest violinists in the world at the entranceway to a subway station. His name was Joshua Bell, and he had just performed a, a concert a few days prior in Boston to a sold-out theater where tickets began at over $100 just to hear him play. They put him in an area where a steady flow of pedestrian traffic would come through. And the experiment was this. Would anyone stop and notice the music? He played six different pieces of music. The article shared he was playing some of the most difficult pieces that ever had been written. And he played these masterpieces on a violin that was valued at three and a half million dollars. He played for 45 minutes outside of this subway station. And 1,097 people passed by as he was playing these six different pieces. All they had to do was stop and listen to the music and they would have a front row seat to one of the most famous violinists for free. All they had to do was stop. But of these 1,097 people who passed by, the experiment at the end tallied, seven people stopped to listen. 1,090 kept going. When Joshua Bell finished playing, there was no applause like what he had received, I imagine, in Boston just a few days prior in a sold-out theater. In fact, only one person of those 1,097 who passed by even recognized him. Yeah, I think we might be able to relate to those folks. With the busyness of life, especially the business of these last few weeks, school finishing up, buying presents, attending parties, attending to all sorts of matters of life, planned, unplanned, urgent matters that may be surfaced. With all the busyness of life, with all the things that are going on around us and inside of us, we don't want to go through Christmas without stopping to consider and to ponder the joy and the wonder and the beauty of the amazing news of Christmas, of Jesus, the Son of God, who came for us and for our salvation. And so this Christmas morning, as we gather as a church, let's take a moment now to turn our attention to the Word of God that teaches us about the joy and the wonder of Jesus coming down to earth and being born as a tiny little baby in Bethlehem. We're going to look at Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 this morning. We'll see in this short passage four wonderful gifts to consider at Christmas. Four wonderful gifts to consider at Christmas. If you want to turn to Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, you can take that pew Bible in front of you if you need to use a pew Bible and turn to page 974, page 974 in the pew Bible, Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. And if you've come this morning and you don't own a Bible, we want to give that Bible to you as a gift. You can take that Bible home with you. We hope you continue to read about who God is and what He's done in Jesus in the pages of the Bible. Let me read through all of Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7 as we begin here. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, 
but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. If we're going to marvel at Christmas about the joy and the wonder of this moment, this is a brief passage I think that will help us do that. A short passage from the Apostle Paul, from his letter to the Galatians, it's loaded with the significance and meaning of Jesus coming down to earth. This passage teaches us about the glorious incarnation when the eternal Son of God became a human being, born as that tiny little baby in Bethlehem. As we look at this passage, I want us to consider four wonderful gifts at Christmas. And by wonderful, we often use the word wonderful. I might use the word wonderful to describe the meal that I'll have later on today. If somebody asks me after, how was your Christmas vacation? Well, it was wonderful. We use that term often. But I can't think of anything truly more wonderful than to pause and to consider the Son of God, Jesus, coming down to earth. A moment full of awe and wonder. Let's consider the first wonderful gift. We see that in verse 4, the gift of God himself. When Jesus came, we received the gift of God himself. This passage teaches us that Jesus, he's like us, a human being, but he's also different than us. So while Christmas recognizes that Jesus was born like us, we also see in his birth that he was clearly different. He was sent down to earth by God. That's not true of you and I. Certainly God was involved in creating us. He formed us and knit us together in our mother's womb, but we weren't sent down from heaven to earth the way that Jesus was. We read in verse 4, when the fullness of time had come, which refers to the date set by God the Father when he sent the Son into the world. God sent forth his Son. That short phrase tells us that the birth of Jesus was like any other birth in the history of humanity. God sent forth his Son, Jesus, into the world, that phrase teaching us that Jesus always existed. Way back in eternity past, long before that manger in Bethlehem, the second person of the Trinity, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, He existed. Now we have plenty of school-age children in the room today. I'm so glad to see so many of you here on Christmas morning. And many of you, where you're at in your education, you're learning the, the basic principles of mathematics the basis of addition and subtraction. Maybe you've been trying to master those concepts. Well, it's important to understand the math of Christmas. The math of Christmas involves addition, not subtraction. When we think about the math of Christmas, God sent forth His Son, His eternal Son, Jesus, down to earth. And when He did that, He did not cease to be God. There was no subtraction when the eternal Son of God came down to earth. Rather, there was addition. At the moment of conception, in the womb of the Virgin Mary, the eternal Son of God became a man adding a human nature. And coming down to earth, Jesus became truly God and truly man. He's truly God. God sent forth His Son. And we also read, Jesus is truly man. Verse 4 continues by telling us Jesus was born of a woman, born under the law. Just two ways of communicating. Jesus, the Son of God, He became truly human. He's saying, the Apostle Paul, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, became like us. He was born of a woman. 
Now, all of us present today were born of a woman. It's natural to be born of a woman. It's the only way to be human. Jesus, he was born of a virgin. The words of the Nicene Creed confess what Christians believe. He became incarnate by the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary and was made human. The virgin birth being the very means of the incarnation of the Son of God. By being born of a woman, Jesus identified with all of humanity. He became like us. He took on flesh to represent us. We also see that Jesus identified particularly with the Jewish people. He was born under the law, referring to the law of Moses. He was born Jewish, circumcised on the eighth day as the law required. He grew up worshiping at the synagogue, praying to God and reading the Torah. He was born under the law of Moses. Now, the law of Moses was good. The law revealed the character of God in His holiness. Through the law, God's people could know, here's what our God is like. We see these holy standards, and they show us we serve a holy God. Here's what He is like. Here's what we are to be like as His people. But the righteous and holy standard of God's law, even Ten Commandments, you and I, we can't even keep Ten Commandments. You can review them later today in Exodus chapter 20. We can't even keep ten of them. The, The law also served to show the sinfulness of humanity our inability to keep God's law, the inability we have to live up to His righteous and holy standards. You see, there was no human being who could perfectly keep God's law, even Ten Commandments, that is, until Jesus came. Jesus was born under the law and that He embraced submission to the law of Moses. He showed He was the only human being capable of meeting the demands of the law. He experienced temptation, In fact, temptation by Satan himself, yet he remained sinless without any guilt. He never broke God's law. He never sinned against God. He perfectly loved every person that he came into contact with, proving that he was the one that the law actually pointed to. The regulations, the sacrifices, the festivals and the law of Moses, they all pointed to Jesus. He was born under the law but he was never under sin. He came to offer perfect obedience to God on our behalf. Why do we talk so much about the wonders of Christmas? What's truly wonderful about Christmas, the truly wonderful moment of the incarnation of the Son of God, is that the eternal Son of God came into the world born as a man. And that's something truly full of wonder. Like Pastor Tim just Pray, what God would become a man? What God would leave the riches of heaven where there's perfection and holiness and leave the riches of heaven to come down here to earth? We live in a good place, but it's a place tainted by sin. It can't compare to the glories of heaven. The incarnation shows us God's love for us, that for us and for our salvation, the Son of God came and took on flesh, the Creator taking on the form of a creature, Brothers and sisters in Christ, that is truly wonderful and marvelous. There's no message like this that any other religion has. There's no message you'll hear like this except for in a church on Sunday morning, a message full of beauty and wonder and joy that on that first Christmas day, heaven kissed earth. The greatest gift 
that God can give is himself. And that's what he gave us on that first Christmas when Jesus, the Son of God, came into the world. We see a second gift, continuing in this passage, a second wonderful gift in verse 5, the gift of redemption. Verse 5, the gift of redemption. In verse 5, we read about the mission of Jesus. The Son of God was sent down to earth, he became a human being, and he was given work to do. He was given a mission. We read what that mission was there in verse 5. Christ came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. You see, there are many wrong views in society about why Jesus came. That's a good exercise, Christian, for you to ask one of your family members or neighbors who's not a Christian. Ask them, like, hey, who, who do you think Jesus was? Why did he come? And most likely, you'll hear some variety of this answer. Well, Jesus was a good teacher. That's largely what, what people accept. You know, it's not controversial at all to say Jesus was a good man or a good teacher. Well, we just looked at that Jesus is God. Well, that gets pretty controversial in conversation. But many people acknowledge Jesus was a good man. He was a, a good teacher. He came to inspire people. He came to set a good example for people. But that isn't what the Bible teaches about Jesus. The Apostle Paul clearly teaches here why Jesus came. He came to redeem. That word redeem, it means to purchase, to buy something back, to deliver from harm. Jesus was born under the law, in verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law. Those under the law are living in spiritual slavery, dead in sin, meaning unable to meet the requirements and demands of God's holy law. Therefore, all of us born standing condemned as sinners in need to be rescued and redeemed from spiritual slavery and made alive in Jesus Christ. At Christmas, we remember that the Son of God took on flesh to redeem those in the flesh. He came down to earth and He took on a body in order to lay that body down and die on the cross as a sacrifice for sin. God sent Jesus not merely to be a good teacher, not merely to set ethical standards for us to follow, not merely to inspire us to live a better life. God sent Jesus to give his life for us, to die on the cross. You see, redemption comes only through the cross of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. There is no other way to be forgiven for your sins against God. There's no other way for you to be made right with God. There's no other way for you to make up for your sin that you owe, the debt you owe God for your sin. Christ rather came to redeem you if you would put your faith in him for forgiveness. See, there's no other way because Jesus was the only one qualified to step in as a payment for sin. He was truly God, meaning his sacrifice was the only one that could qualify to satisfy God's wrath and pay the penalty for sin. He was also truly man, meaning he could take the penalty for our sin as a substitute and stand in our place, taking on the condemnation for sin for us. He came being born under the law, but remaining sinless, showing him to be the righteous one who came to redeem unrighteous people like you and me. You see, the joy of Christmas 
is that God sent His Son into the world to save us from our sin, to save us from God's judgment and His wrath against sin. God judges sin, and He is right to do that because He's holy, but He's also provided a way, the only way to be forgiven and redeemed through His Son, Jesus. You see, the testimony of a Christian, of every member of Oakhurst Baptist Church this morning, it's not that we're just trying to be the people in Charlotte who do the right thing and that we're good for goodness' sake, trying to set good examples for others. Our testimony, rather, is this. God saved me. Christ redeemed me. There is no God like this. Who wouldn't want to serve a God like Him, who sent His Son to lay His life down because He loved us and wanted us to live our lives in fellowship with Him? Christian, what would your life look like today if Christ had not redeemed you? Where would you be? What would you be giving your life to? What would you be living for? Think about what your life would look like apart from Christ's redemption. And then look back to the cross and the empty tomb and be filled with joy that God sent Jesus to pay for your sin. Look forward and hope what your future is like, that you've been redeemed to live with Christ now and forevermore. And if you're here today and you've not yet put your faith in Jesus Christ, it's important to understand that every other religion and every other worldview typically involves accomplishing something good through your own deeds. In other words, people making their way to God, which is a very different message from the message of Christmas. You see, the essence of the Christian message of the gospel of Jesus Christ is that God made His way to us. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. He made a way for us to be redeemed and forgiven and saved. We couldn't save ourselves, and so Jesus came to save us and to rescue us by redeeming those who would repent of their sin and put their faith in Jesus Christ. And when you get that, you'll realize that the point of Christmas is not that we would be good for goodness sake, but rather that God in His goodness sent Jesus for our sake, for our salvation. We see a third wonderful gift beginning there at the end of verse 5, at the end of verse 5, 5b, the gift of adoption. The gift of adoption. At Christmas, we remember that the Son of God came that we might receive the gift of adoption into God's family. You see how these gifts keep lining up. We have the gift of God Himself. The gift of redemption came through Jesus. And for those who put their faith in Jesus, you also receive the gift of adoption. That's what we see in verse 5. Jesus came to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. Adoption is bringing the offspring of another into one's own family. Some of you here this morning, you've been adopted. Some of you have adopted children. We have members of our church. Just recently I visited who adopted a, a precious little baby. Adoption is a beautiful thing, and it gives us a picture of the gospel. Now, this concept of adoption would have been culturally familiar to the original recipients of this letter. So, adoption was present in Greek and Roman society. Also, there's deep biblical meaning to adoption. So, the biblical roots of adoption are seen in the Old Testament with God's relationship to Israel, calling Israel His his son, where he adopted the people of Israel as his very own children, delivering them from the slavery of Egypt to be in his family. In the same way, Jesus, the Son of God, he became a man, 
He subjected himself to the law so that he might redeem and bring us into his family. Only those who've repented of their sin against God and put their faith in Jesus Christ are true spiritual children of God that know him as Father. Those who put their faith in Jesus are delivered from the slavery of sin and immediately adopted as God's very own children. Down to verse 7. We read what happens when you trust in Jesus. Look at verse 7. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. That's talking about a change in relationship by the grace of God. Being a slave to sin and being turned into a son or a daughter, welcomed into the family of God. By God's grace, if you put your faith in Jesus, your relationship with God has changed. Also, there's a change in benefits and blessings that you receive. You become an heir of God. Verse 7 continues on, and if a son, then an heir through God. An heir is someone who's going to receive an inheritance. To be God's son as heir means that you've been given all the rights and all the privileges of being a part of his family. You share in the joy and the glory of Jesus Christ, the son, and God blesses you with every spiritual blessing in Christ. By God's grace, you went from having no freedom and no future to the unending blessing of knowing God as your Father now and forevermore in the next life. Brothers and sisters in Christ, being a part of God's family is the greatest gift you can receive. There is no greater life than being a part of His family, than knowing God as your Father who cares for you, who provides for you. No one has a friend like Jesus, who will bear all of our burdens, who knows every need, even the things we don't know that we need. God knows and provides for his children graciously. The gift of adoption brings comfort and confidence to Christians because we can rest in what God has already done for us in Christ Jesus. Brother and sister in Christ, you can live your life as a son or daughter, as an heir, meaning there is a sure inheritance that lies ahead, the best is yet to come. Well, finally, let's consider our fourth wonderful gift in verse 6, the gift of the Spirit. Jesus saves and rescues all who trust in Him. All those who are adopted into God's family by faith in Christ are brought into a whole new way of, of living, living in the Spirit. In verse 6, we read of how the redemption that Jesus accomplished brings a new kind of life to believers. Look at verse 6. And because you are sons, God has has sent the Spirit of His Son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The mark of being adopted by God is the presence of the Spirit of His Son in your heart. You get to call on God as your Father through the Spirit of His Son being in your heart. Earlier we saw the language that God sent Jesus down to earth. Here we see that God also sent later the Spirit into the hearts of every single believer. God sent forth His Son to rescue and redeem us. God sent forth His Spirit to empower us and to help us live as sons and daughters of the King. With the Spirit in our hearts, we enjoy intimacy with God, closeness with Him, a relationship through the presence of his in, through the indwelling nature of His presence, of the Spirit. Christ is always with us. 
Now, the effect of this life of the Spirit is a new relationship with God. We cry out to God, it says here, as our Abba, Father. Abba is an Aramaic term that young children would use to refer to their father. It'd be something like saying Daddy. When you call someone Daddy, that shows a close relationship of, of trust, of proximity, of a desire to be near and, and close. Interesting enough, Abba, Father, is how Jesus prayed what He prayed in Mark chapter 14, verse 36, when He was in the Garden of Gethsemane, preparing to be handed over to be crucified. In that dark moment, as He was preparing for death, He prayed to Abba, Father, in Mark 14, 36, saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. In that intimate moment there in the Garden of Gethsemane, it shows us the intimate moment that Christians can have with God at any moment. We can cry out to Him as our Abba, Father, through the presence of the Spirit of the Son. We have an unending intimacy and closeness with God, the Spirit helping us. It's through the presence of the Spirit in your life that you will finish the race, Christian. And through the presence of the Spirit in your life, there will be good spiritual fruit produced in your life only by His presence. Galatians chapter 5, later on, verse 22, talks about the fruit of the Spirit. That when the Spirit of the Son is present in your life, good fruit gets produced. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The presence of the Spirit in our lives provides assurance, testifies that we are children of God, that we belong to Him. The comfort and joy that every Christian can know is that God is changing you and He is transforming you today through the power of His Spirit. As we look back on Christmas, we can think about these gifts and our faith can be strengthened. Our joy can be renewed. And we can have hope for what lies ahead. That as we reflect on Jesus, on who He is, and what it is that He came to do, may we remember that Christmas is not merely a special day to celebrate. But Christmas is about a special person, a person to be praised, a Redeemer, one who's come to save us. The joy of Christmas is that that manger in Bethlehem paved the path to the hill on Calvary where Jesus would die and pay for sin. The joy of Christmas is that this Savior that was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, He died and He rose from the grave. What a special morning we've had to remember that. Christians, we meet on Sunday morning because that's the morning that Jesus got up from the dead. We gather every single week. It's on our calendar every week. Sunday morning, Jesus got up from the dead. We come to worship Him as His body here on earth, proclaiming that He is who He said He was, proclaiming His gospel and delighting in who Jesus is as our crucified and risen Savior. And today, we get to look back on His birth and celebrate His resurrection together, being reminded that the joy of Christmas is that this Savior who was born in Bethlehem over 2,000 years ago, He came to die, to rise again from the dead, and that all who turn and put their faith in Him and the only Savior, Christ Jesus the Lord, will be saved, redeemed, and adopted into the family of God to enjoy Him now and forevermore. That is good news we need to hear at Christmas. Amen? Well, the worst thing that could happen is that you're simply familiar with this message, 
but you've not put your faith in Jesus. And if you've come this morning and you don't know Jesus, you've never trusted in Him, you might have come into the service not having trusted in Jesus, but you don't have to leave that way. I can't think of a better time than Christmas Day, Sunday morning, to turn to Christ, to ask Him to forgive you of your sins, to ask Him to save you, to confess your sins to Him, and to live your life in fellowship with Him now and forevermore. I'll be at this door afterwards, a couple of our pastors, the doors on the way out. You may have come this morning with a family member or a friend. Talk with them more about what it would look like to trust in Jesus. And for all those who already have trusted in Jesus, may we stop and listen to the music and stand in awe and in wonder of who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Let's bow and pray. Father, we ask that we'd be strengthened this morning to trust You anew, that we would strengthen this morning, being reminded of Your grace and Your kindness and Your love, which You demonstrated in sending Your Son Jesus down to earth, and You demonstrated by sending Him to die on the cross to pay for our sins. Lord, may we be reminded of this mercy and grace today that we would trust You more. Lord, we pray You'd provide comfort and confidence as we meditate on Jesus. We pray that You'd provide joy and peace in our minds in knowing Him. And Lord, remind us of the help of the Spirit you've given to all who trust in you, the help that you've given us to finish the race. May we find comfort in Him today, in Jesus' name, amen.